Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back. And I am welcoming you from a particularly different undisclosed location than I typically am. The reason for the difference in audio quality that you're used to hearing is because currently I am on a Zoom call. I am sitting in a hammock about 150 yards from the ocean because I am on vacation. But there is no rest for a Bills podcaster. You've heard no rest for the weary. It's actually a misnomer. It's actually no rest for a Bills podcaster. But I have enlisted the help, the aid of the one, the only, the magnificent, Mr. Anthony Marino, who is joining me on this Zoom call to assist this week. Mr. Marino, how are you? I am great, and I am humbled that when Bruce Nolan needs help, I am the one that he calls to uh, assist while he is laying in the hammock somewhere by the water in a beach and probably someplace much nicer than where I am right now. But I'm happy to be on with you and talking everything Buffalo Bills, my friend. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a good thing that I happen to be on vacation after a Bills win of that particular style because I have a feeling that given my unfortunate emotional attachment to a professional football team, that it might have put me in a bad place if we hadn't seen the type of win that we saw. And I don't know where you want to start the conversation, Anthony, but I kind of feel like right off the bat, we need to sort of talk about Josh Allen. Am I right? Well, I mean, that is the no-brainer of where to start. I would be shocked if you went in any other direction to kick things off. So I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good place. So one of the things that I think is interesting about the narrative that's kind of come out of the game is whether or not the christening has occurred. It's whether or not the crowning of Josh Allen as a franchise quarterback has occurred within each individual Bills fan's mind. Sal Capaccio came out and said, on Twitter, and then wrote an article and said, it's over, it's done, he's the franchise. Other people are like, no, I need to see him do it against better defenses. Still other people are like, no, I'm not convinced, I need to see more. 
Anthony, where are you at? Are you ready to christen him or not? Yeah, I'm ready to christen him. And I think a lot of that ties into, and maybe we'll talk about it, what that definition of a franchise quarterback is. Because I think sometimes get it confused with what we would call an elite quarterback. But for me, I mean, I was teetering on christening Josh Allen heading into the start of the 2020 season. And certainly what I've seen these first two weeks, um, yeah, I'm ready to go. Like, let's pick up the fifth-year option. Let's start looking at cap space as it relates to a contract extension. Let's look at all of those things. So I find myself agreeing with the the take that came from Sal Capaccio. You brought him up. He was on WGR earlier in the day on Wednesday and really talking about just how many people had written off Josh Allen early on. And um, Petty Sal Capaccio is my favorite Sal Capaccio, I think. And uh, it was certainly a piece where, where I do – I'm in. Uh, consider me all in, Bruce. Now, I think that that's the interesting point right there, and you brought it up. The interesting point for me is that your opinion on whether or not Josh Allen is a franchise quarterback right now is primarily based on whether or not you may have thought he was a franchise quarterback prior to the 2020 season. And specifically, it's your definition of the term. So, for example, let me pose you this question. If you think Josh Allen's a franchise quarterback, I have gone on record in the past as saying that it's better to set the market. When you realize that you have a player who you know is going to get a market-level contract, extending them sooner rather than extending them later always behooves the team in the long run. We've seen that very, very recently with the Bills' extension of cornerback Tredavious White, getting him for markedly lower than he potentially would have been able to sign for if he had waited till after the Jalen Ramsey contract was done. So my question is, if he's decided, if you've decided that he's the franchise quarterback, are you willing to pull the trigger on a contract extension this offseason to roll that into the fifth-year option? Are you ready to pull the trigger as early as the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes? Well, I would say this. In short, yes. And the rules with the fifth-year option have changed, right? Now it's fully guaranteed for those players. Where in the past, it was a bit of a joke, right? And we saw that with Kevin Johnson the cornerback with the Bills last year that, yeah, the Houston Texans picked up his fifth-year option, but with no guaranteed money, no penalty, where they cut him heading into that fifth season. Now that rule has changed. So if the fifth-year option is picked up, it in, in essence is a guarantee. So when you talk about setting the market, I don't see that happening when it comes to the contracts that uh, Patrick Mahomes has signed, as well as Deshaun Watson. But from this standpoint, right, if, if 2020 continues in any sort of vein, and I know there will be some regression from these first two weeks, yeah, I'd be ready to go because, quite honestly, the further you wait, the higher that number is going to go. Now, you and I, I think, have never actually sat down and talked about definition of franchise quarterback, but I was, ha- I was fortunate enough to be able to do that with Ryan Talbot and Matt Perino of the Shout Pond podcast from uh, Syracuse.com and NYUp.com. And I explained to them that I was trying to sit down and evaluate what a franchise quarterback meant to me. And I came up with this definition. A franchise quarterback is one who can be on a market non-rookie scale contract and allow their team to make the playoffs consistently, do do in plurality to their impact on games without requiring an abnormally talented remainder of team. Now, obviously that's a long definition. We want to say it, make it short, but you know what? I couldn't make it any shorter. I couldn't do it. I wanted to. 
but just like my very many podcasts I have done, there was no possible way for me to make it shorter and for me to feel good about the content that was in, in this case, that definition. So by that definition, we're looking at Josh Allen now. We're looking at Josh Allen's game against the Dolphins, his game against the Jets, and we're saying, does he fall into that for me? I'm not there yet. I am really excited about the progression of Josh Allen. But I think that one of the important things that gets left out of the franchise quarterback conversation is, in my definition, the word consistently. And specifically, there is an element of time to a franchise quarterback. I use the example a lot that I have made an NBA three-pointer. That has happened to me in my life. The reason that I'm not in the NBA is because I can't do that as often as I'd like to. So Josh Allen has performed at a franchise level now for multiple weeks, and we've seen it. And it's been spectacular. In the words of Seinfeld, they're real and they're spectacular. And that goes to Josh Allen's performances. But there's an element of time to that. If you look at people like Jared Goff, who people were starting to worry about last year because he had that big year under Sean McVay, and everyone was like, okay, is it Sean McVay or is it Jared Goff? And you have Derek Carr who was in the MVP discussion, and now he's kind of had to reacclimate himself and reconvince the Raiders brass that he's the guy this year trying to do that, or else they might go in a different direction. There's all sorts of rumors about the Raiders potentially going in a different direction this offseason. Ryan Fitzpatrick had four 400-yard games in a row for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He convinced the Bills that he was the franchise guy. And so there's an element of time to a franchise quarterback des- you know, definition. And I don't know what that looks like for different people, but for me, that's the thing holding me back from the christening right now. Not to say that he's not playing at a franchise level because he is playing at a franchise level, but lots of quarterbacks are capable of playing at a franchise level. Being able to do that consistently, and I don't mean consistently by throw for 400 yards every game because that's not going to happen. But being able to do it more often than not, and being able to say, listen, if we've got this quarterback, we have a chance. I just think there's an element of time there. Am I crazy, Anthony? Should I just be jumping on board with both feet? Should I be diving in head first here? Or is there an element of time that perhaps maybe I got a point? No, I think when you talk about the element of time, you certainly have a point, right, with that. Now, you asked me a question. So I could either hedge and say, you know, ah, I'm not quite sure. I'm this, I'm that but I am certainly leaning towards give Josh Allen the contract extension. Of course, if he goes down in flames over the next 14 games of this season, so many things would change and we would say, okay, let's, let's pull back on that just a bit. But asking me that question today, as we look at these first two games of the season, and when you look at his 2019 season as well, and I do think there are certain things where you talk about game script sometimes against uh, an inferior opponent, Maybe Sean McDermott and Brian Dable were holding back a little bit, right, in an effort not to have their second-year quarterback try to do too much. Let's not put him in a position where, you know, we see the turnovers, right? You think of those first four games of the 2019 season where he has six interceptions in those games, and, and then he only had three interceptions the rest of the season. Did they sort of put the reins on him a little bit last year to to keep some of that development from taking place? But I shouldn't say to keep the development from taking place, but I think you know where I'm going with that. 
But now that you look to 2020 and you say to yourself, okay, you know, yeah, last year we added Beasley and Brown. I mean, two guys, again, professional wide receivers, but no one that was coming in and you're thinking to yourself, okay, the the Bills offense, they have a, a complete trio of wide receivers in place now. To 2020 where they add Stefan Diggs and all of a sudden you look at things and say, okay, you have three guys on the field at all times and that doesn't even take into account Gabriel Davis. Like, let's see what Josh Allen can do with a real trio of wide receivers on the field. And at least through two games, we've gotten a pretty good glimpse at what that is. So I don't think you're crazy. I don't think you need to be 100% all in, um, but it sounds like I'm a, a little bit closer to that than, than you are right now. Yeah, and, you know, I think that that's part of this process is people are going to arrive there at different times. You know, I used the example before that I had a very specific list of things that I was looking at when I was trying to find a woman I was going to marry. That's something I've been talking about before, and I had a list of things I was looking at. And I, I dated girls for longer, and I dated girls for shorter, and then I met my wife. And four months later, we were married. That's a fun story. Fun Bruce story. I, mar- I married my wife after four months of dating. And it's because I, I didn't need any longer. I knew she was the one. And so for a lot of people, they might not know that Josh Allen's the one. Or they no, might Wait, 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 wait. You, you can't just gloss over that. Did she meet the criteria on the list? Or did you just know, like, she's the one, screw the list. She, I can throw it she, away because I, does, I, the list doesn't matter anymore. Do you know me to ever say screw the list, Anthony? I Never don't, but list. I think no. it's one of those interesting pieces, though. And when you do talk about Josh Allen, right, no one, and I didn't know you really back then, I, no one looked at the 2018 draft and really said, like, Josh Allen is the guy that I want, right? Everybody was a little bit afraid that, like, man, are the Bills going to end up taking Allen? What is that going to look like? Wyoming, you see the tape, you see the statistics. Sure, what are all of these pieces So now everyone can look back and say like, hey, this is really working out. This is great. But no one would have, he would not have fit what was on your list before. So I guess that's why I'm asking. Yeah. So we have with Josh Allen, you know, when, when we drafted him, and I've said before that football is not a game of possibilities. Football is a game of probabilities because almost anything's possible in football. We've seen bad quarterbacks win the Super Bowl. We've seen undrafted free agents rise. And so what the problem is people get, they fall in love with the outliers. You know, every sixth round pick, they're like, well, you know, Tom Brady. Well, I mean, yes, that's true. Tom Brady was sixth round pick, but he is the greatest of all outliers in NFL history. So when I, when I was talking about Josh Allen earlier in his career, I said, it's not impossible for Josh Allen to be a franchise quarterback. I just believe it to be improbable. And what we're seeing here is we're seeing Josh Allen because of unique traits, special traits, overcome improbabilities. And that is amazing to see and excellent to see. And specifically with my wife, she didn't have to overcome any improbabilities. She was the only person I'd ever met who had checked off everything on the list. And so I just, you know, wanted to make sure that I locked her up before, uh, you know, before she figured out that she was making a horrible mistake. And she was able to, you know, escape from me. I was like, hey, you know, want to get married? And so we got married. Four months after I, uh, after I started dating my wife, we got married. And this is, you know, I, I, so I may be a little impulsive on the surface, but I'm not so impulsive as to, you know, christen Josh Allen after 
after two games. So I'll, inc- I'll christen my wife after four months, but I won't christen Josh Allen after two games into the 2020 season. I need more time. So if that tells you how important the franchise quarterback decision is to me, I don't know what does. But you brought up Stephon Diggs, and that's an excellent, excellent transition because I made a comment on Twitter that Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs came out of the gate with chemistry. And there are still discussions in Cleveland about Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham. Right. And what, what we are seeing in Cleveland, the narrative has died down a little bit since their Thursday night game against the Bengals. But what we are seeing in Cleveland is what people are worried about when you bring in a star wide receiver. You worry about it gelling right away. You will worry about his fit with the culture. You worry about him saying, I need the ball more. You know, there's a report coming out of Buffalo right now that Stephon Diggs, you know, was on the phone with Brian Dable very animatedly saying, hey, I know how to get Cole Beasley and John Brown the ball. I, I know how this is going to work. It's going to open up and it's going to be great. And John Brown was on the phone saying, no, 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 we got to keep feeding 14. And that's awesome. And that's wonderful. And that speaks to, in addition to some of the other things that Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs have been talking about, you know, all the time playing Call of Duty and all the time spending together, and all the videos at practice of them talking and talking and talking and getting on the same page with the chemistry standpoint that we've seen something that I don't know if we're really appreciating. And that is instant chemistry. We talk about gelling on the offensive line all the time, but chemistry between a quarterback and a receiver is extremely important. And being willing to pull the trigger, knowing that you know where that receiver is going to be Josh Allen made some throws to Stephon Diggs specifically against Miami that you might even call inadvisable, but he knew that Stephon Diggs was going to make a play on the ball, and Stephon Diggs rewarded that trust with some excellent, excellent play. And I think maybe because we're so giddy about the work that Josh Allen did, we're actually maybe brushing aside the chemistry that seems to have been built very improbably quickly with the who we hope is the franchise quarterback in Josh Allen. Bruce, when, when you talk about Stefan Diggs and just what this tandem has looked like in these first two games, it's just hard not to get excited. And to steal a quote that he used the last time we talked, like, I, I don't even know what to do with my hands, right? Like, I'm just, I am giddy when you, you talk about Stefan Diggs, you see the chemistry, even just from little clips from training camp or whatever, you hear him talk in interviews, you hear everything Josh Allen says, everybody's saying all of the right things. And then you see these first two games. And it's like, I do not care if it's the Jets, I do not care if it's the Dolphins, I do not care who we are talking about, but you see the trust that Allen puts in Diggs and you see Diggs ability to just make catches that we have not seen. And I don't know how long, right. And from that standpoint where you just think to yourself two games in again, you know, it's not going to be like this each and every week, but at least at this standpoint right now, it is as exciting as a quarterback wide receiver duo. I mean, right. Since blood, so and molds, I mean, it's, it's, it's been that long. Absolutely. And if it keeps this up, it very clearly could could pass up Fitz and Stevie Johnson. I mean, you know, Fitz and Stevie Johnson were fine and that, that was that was the best thing we had seen in a little bit. But this is this is past that. You know, Stevie Johnson wasn't, you know, getting the kind of looks that Stephon Diggs is, and he wasn't as talented of a player as Stephon Diggs is. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, as much as we love, you know, Eric Wood for comparing you know, Lee Smith and having them compare Josh Allen to Bizarro Fitz, which 
I mean, that's a whole different thing. We could, you could spend an entire podcast on just unpacking that nickname for Josh Allen, Bizarro Fits. And I actually considered making this entire podcast just unpacking that, but I was like, you know what? I'm on vacation. That is way, way, way too much work for me. I'm going to chill in this hammock. I'm going to chat with my boy, Anthony. It's going to be great. But in addition to seeing that Stefan Diggs has injected that level of energy into the Bills offense and has found that instant chemistry with Josh Allen, look at what the Vikings are going through right now Crazy. without Stefan Diggs. And they were thinking that Justin Jefferson was going to plug right in. I will distinctly remember Vikings fans telling me that Justin Jefferson was better than Stefan Diggs right after they drafted him. And I, I didn't want to laugh really hard because I, I was a Justin Jefferson guy. I like Justin Jefferson. But saying a rookie is going to come in and do what Stephon Diggs did for that offense, now all of a sudden the Vikings offense looks terrible. And they just re-signed Dalvin Cook. They have Adam Thielen. The only real significant piece that has changed on the Vikings offense is they lost Stephon Diggs. I mean, Irv Smith, they've still got. They've still got the two tight end set. They still have Adam Thielen. They still have Dalvin Cook. Kirk Cousins just signed a new contract in the offseason. There's no other real explanation. The variable, we talk about isolating the variable with Josh Allen. The variable on the Minnesota Vikings right now is Stephon Diggs. So when you put that in context with what we're seeing from the offense, it's looking like an absolute stroke of genius by Brandon Bean to be able to pick him up in the offseason, especially with a shortened you know, training camp and all the stuff where rookies might contribute maybe less than they historically have. That's been an absolute stroke of genius. I'll tell you something else that was a stroke of genius. Rotating the offensive line in Miami to accommodate for the heat. I noticed this as I was watching back, more so than I, listened, than I noticed when I was listening on the radio, and rotating the offensive line to accommodate for the heat. You see people rotate defensive linemen all the time. And that happens with the idea that in the fourth quarter, you'll be fresh. Right, You won't have these people wear down over time getting 65, 70, 75, 80% of the snaps. And very rarely do you have the level of depth on the offensive line where it's possible for you to do it and have it not be a net negative because, yes, you're getting the rest. However, during those snaps where your people are getting rest, they're also having their backups get blown off the line of scrimmage because the people you have – are not as talented as the starters who are now resting on the sideline. In the offseason, when I did my 53-man projection, I actually projected that Brian Winters wouldn't make this team even though he had guaranteed money because I was like, why on earth would the Bills want to have a backup offensive lineman who doesn't have any versatility? Well, let me just tell you, this is one of the reasons why you would do that. You would do it if there was times when you were okay rotating him in for Cody Ford at right guard to keep Cody Ford fresher down in blistering Miami heat. And it's something that I don't hear a lot of people talking about, but Anthony, I think it was, a, I think it was a stroke of genius. I really do. Well, now let me ask you a question because a stroke of genius. Yes. Right. When it comes to that piece. And I've always questioned in the past, like so many teams, they'd have their five offensive linemen and they would just play a hundred percent of the snaps each game where you know, you would look at things and say, you know, can't somebody get a breather here or there? What would tie into this? Now, there was a little bit of a conspiracy theory, though, going around with this, that maybe Sean McDermott, Brian Dable, and the staff 
making a few tweaks here and there to see can Cody Ford play left guard? Let's see what things look like if he's in that spot. Because if John Feliciano comes back in a couple of weeks, how is he going to fit back in? Do you buy into any of that? Or do you think it's really just a matter of keeping some guys fresh and giving them a few snaps off? I think if that was the reasoning behind it, we would have seen it week one. Because you only have a limited amount of weeks to get statistically significant data before Feliciano comes back. So why would you do it week two, but not week one? That seems to me like if you were trying to do it, if you're trying to accumulate statistically significant data on different rotations for the express purpose of being able to sample out things for Feliciano coming back, then you would have done it week one. It's specifically because Sean McDermott came out and said, I don't want to rotate offensive linemen. So if he said, I don't want to do that, and then one week he did it, and that one week just happened to coincide with the week that they were in blistering heat in Miami, it seems more probable. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it seems more probable that he was doing it to accommodate for something that was situationally an outlier that week, as opposed to something where if it was true, he would have done it week two, week one as well. Bruce, let me ask you a question, okay? And let's think back to this. The Bills back up offensive linemen right now, right? Take the five reserves that you can say, even if you want to include someone from the practice squad. Are they better than the Bills starting offensive line from 2018? Yes. Yes, they absolutely are. You know why? Because they have jobs, Anthony. They all have jobs. They may have backup jobs, but they have jobs. And that's more than we can say for the Bills 2018 line. Bruce, when you think back to this, right, with the exception of Deion Dawkins, and you look at the Bills starters at wide receiver from 2018 and their offensive line starters from 2018, and just think of just the conversation that we're having now, right, a, a year off of finishing 10-6, and six, making it to the playoffs, 2-0 and start, looking at all of these pieces, talking about the depth on the offensive line, how they can rotate players in in the Miami Heat, and that includes John Feliciano being on injured reserve for the short term. Just how, I mean, you talk about bizarro fits. I mean, just bizarro Buffalo Bills from where things were literally two years ago. My response to this should be just a picture of Brandon Bean (laughs) with sunglasses in the distance staring out over a practice field in his typical, you know, non-smiling. Is there, just a quick side note, is there a picture out there of Brandon Bean smiling without sunglasses? Is that a thing? Like, do we even have them? I think that's a conspiracy theory we should dive into. But really, it does speak to how you build around a young quarterback. And I think that it's okay to have a year like 2018 where you may have to take your medicine and maybe you have $50 million in dead cap. But when you have the resources, you have to isolate the variable. If you, I could write a thesis, Anthony, on the method by which the Buffalo Bills have built around Josh Allen in comparison to the method by which the New York Jets have built around Sam Darnold. It is an absolute start. There are going to be 30 for 30s on this draft class, and a big part of it is going to be what not to do with a young quarterback, and Sam Darnold's going to be front and center on that list because although a team drafted him and he didn't bounce around like Josh Rosen did, you could make an argument he hasn't really gotten a, any more significant support than Rosen has. Yes, that doesn't mean he got traded, 
But that's not the only way to show support. The only way to show support is not to make sure you don't get rid of him. Like that's not what support means. Support means giving him the tools necessary to be able to isolate the variable, to be able to know whether or not this is your guy. Because if you have all these other variables in the equation, how are you supposed to know if it's him? And I talked about it as ad nauseum coming into 2020, that we were going to know at the end of 2020 whether or not Josh Allen was the guy because of how well Brandon Bean has done in isolating the variable and saying, listen, Josh Allen, no excuses. And now when Josh Allen is improving, yes, part of that is trajectory he was on. And part of that is Brandon Bean not harming the trajectory. It's him not getting in the way of Josh Allen's growth. It's him facilitating Josh Allen's growth. Same offensive system, three years. Getting the offensive line, getting it built up, acquiring weapons, not going crazy and mixing and matching all these different other pieces around him getting him a reasonable defense. These are the things that allow your quarterback to show you whether or not he's the guy. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're asking him to be superhuman to be the guy. And most quarterbacks aren't superhuman. Let's just find out if he's good. And I think the last two weeks, you can say part of the reason we've been able to see that Josh Allen has been playing well is because Brandon Bean did his job. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. We're going to finish off this conversation with Anthony Marino and myself on a hybrid Bruce exclusive Breaking Buffalo Rumblings episode. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. I am here in a hammock 150 yards from the ocean, but I'm still here with you in your car or in your AirPods or wherever it is you're catching me at the gym while you're lifting weights so you hopefully can look good in shorts like Josh Allen does. Whatever the case may be, I'm here with you, but I'm not the only man who's here with you. Number one in your programs, number one in your hearts, Anthony Marino is here with me to help me through this. We have talked about ad nauseum, Josh Allen, Brandon Bean, what we saw from the game in Miami, whether or not we're willing to christen him. Some people are farther ahead of me. Call me conservative, if you will. I'm okay if that's what you want to do. But we talked about the element of time when it comes to a franchise quarterback. 
But there's some other things that could be taken away from the game at Miami that maybe were a little bit lesser known that I want to jump into. The first being Tyrell Dodson, have yourself a game. Anthony Marino, I think that the first thing that came to mind when I watched the game back and I saw how well Tyrell Dodson was playing, the first thing I thought was, I, I know why they hung on to him last year. We said last year that with the issues Tyrell Dodson had and the fact that the team held on to him, they had to have seen something in him. And now you're almost seeing that payoff because the Bills did not adjust their defensive scheme significantly against the Miami offense to accommodate for the loss of Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. They had faith in their scheme. They had faith in Tyrell Dodson and A.J. Klein. I'm not saying they played as well as Milano and Edmonds would have. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we didn't see any kooky, large amounts of dime formations. We didn't see Saran Neal lying up at linebacker like we thought we might have. We saw them stick with the plan and have faith in Tyrell Dodson. And he started to show some of the things that you have seen. He popped off. The athleticism pops off the page at you. And he looked good in coverage. He looked good in run support. Tyrell Dodson is a reasonable player and a rosterable linebacker in this league. He proved it, and I thought it was an incredible show of faith in him, but it just goes to show you that they were right a year ago when they held on to him, and we finally got a glimpse at what they were seeing so far ago. Well, and like you said, an incredible sign of faith. Um, Obviously, I want to see both Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano back as soon as possible. But with that being said, I would I would have been curious too, like what would Dodson have looked like in the game if he was playing alongside Tremaine Edmonds, right? Because we know that Klein leaves a little bit to be desired. I know you've talked about that in the past as of others. I think when you have that conversation, it's just like, okay, what if he is surrounded by the Pro Bowl linebacker that the Bills have? You know, what does that look like? What would Tyrell Dodson look like in game two? You have to understand that there would be some kind of you know, jitters or nervousness going into your first NFL start. But as you said, um, sticking by him through last year and keeping him on the roster and, and making, some, making some changes, right? When you looked at the 53-man roster, this is not someone that we were sure was going to have a spot. You're thinking maybe someone along the lines of a Voshan Joseph. Is uh, Corey Thompson going to, you know, he knows the, the system. He was on the team last year, contributes on special teams. But Dotson's the guy they go with, and, and here he is playing meaningful snaps against the Dolphins in the big win, 31-28 on Sunday. The other thing that I think that this gives us as a fan base is it gives us a window into another possibility down the line because I know that Tyrell Dotson played the mic in place of Tremaine Edmonds, but it starts to make you wonder if there's a reasonable chance that we don't have to lose our ever-living minds if the Bills don't re-sign Matt Milano. If the Bills have an athletic linebacker they can line up next to Tremaine Edmonds, like you said, then maybe the sky won't fall. That doesn't. I'm not taking anything away from Matt Milano, who is an excellent player, and the defense looks different when he is not on the field. And I want to re-sign him because I think there's a significant drop-off between him and the next man up. But maybe it's not as bad from a linebacker depth standpoint as we thought it was because of the emergence of Tyrell Dodson in that role. You wonder if, you know, with him having the athleticism, 
Can he be a pursuit style linebacker? He showed well in zone coverage. How well does he, how well does he show up in man? Things like that make you wonder that maybe the drop off from Matt Milano, let's say worst case scenario, we don't resign him. He does hit the free agent market and he leaves for another team. In previous, maybe to last week, that was literally the sky is falling. Everything is on fire. We're all going to die. Maybe now it's, oh, no, that's really bad. Hopefully Tyrell can pick it up. Maybe those are the difference in, in kind of the, the way that we would interpret that move were it to happen. And I think that that's the interesting thing for me to keep an eye on moving forward. But the last thing that we have to talk about regarding the Miami game, we got to talk about Levi Wallace. I have you. I was pounding the table this entire offseason, Anthony, and people just kept telling me that either Norman was the answer or Levi was going to take the next step. And Levi Wallace got taken advantage of against the Dolphins. Double-digit targets, a lot of receptions, always seemed to be having his guy run away from him or big-boying him. And I think that the lack of natural athleticism is starting to show itself and I'm really concerned against a team that likes to use play action with longer developing routes that Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are going to flat out be able to run away from Levi Wallace in man coverage. And that's going to be a problem against the play action attack of Los Angeles Rams. And I don't know that rooting for Josh Norman to come back and save us all is really the right place. This CB2 is an issue. Anthony, am I wrong? Is CB2 no. an issue? No, you're not wrong. And it pains me a bit because, you know, we talked so much pre-draft about cornerback options for the Bills. I mean, even to the point right after the Stefan Diggs trade where you and I would talk and be like, okay, who are options at number 54 that the Bills can draft in the second round that can start opposite of Tredavious White? And the second round passed and the third round passed, and the fourth round passed, and so on and so on, until the Bills took Dane Jackson in the seventh round out of pit. And you're just thinking to yourself, like, wow, the coaching staff has a supreme amount of confidence in Levi Wallace and Josh Norman. And when you talk about Levi, right, like, he is, he's the floor. Like, we know, we know the floor that, that he brings to the table. And I will preface it all by saying I am a huge Levi Wallace fan. Um, of his story, right, of being a walk-on at University of Alabama, working his way up to becoming a starter, winning national championships, not getting drafted, UDFA, coming into Buffalo, earning a spot on the roster, eventually taking over for Vontae Davis, and, and having a successful NFL career. But there's just one or two of these games each year that just stand out in 2019. Of course, it was the game against the Cleveland Browns and matched up with Jarvis Landry. You think back to this past weekend, you look forward to the Rams, and you just say to yourself, as, as many great things as we say about Brandon Bean, it's just, uh, is the CB2 spot just that glaring weakness that they have not addressed? And it is um, something I hope the team doesn't pay for. I was very happy with the AJ Epinesa pick. Christian Fulton would probably be active on yeah. Sundays. I'm just saying. Christian no, Fulton right. would probably be active on Sundays. So hopefully that doesn't come back to bite us in the rear end because I would very much like to have that not happen. But I could make an argument that, you know, the linebacker play 
coming back will assist Levi Wallace because of the length of Tremaine Edmonds and the ability of Matt Milano to play in zone coverage. I think it will help. But going to every time they went to man, Levi Wallace was the target. That's the way it went. Even the Bills announcers on the radio, Murph, Steve Tasker, were pointing it out that every time the Bills went man, that's exactly where Ryan Fitzpatrick was looking. And with the quality of receiver play in this NFL increasing over the last 20 years, now where this number two wide receivers are really, really good, you can't have a weak spot at your CB2 that's going to be a problem. Now, there are free agent options out there for the Bills. Prince of Mukamara being chief among them, who I thought played perfectly reasonably. Everyone's like, well, Bruce, he doesn't have a job now. I understand that, and I still don't know why he doesn't have a job. Because the last time he played for an FL team, he played well. So I don't quite get it. It was a, it, The reason why Prince of Mukamara got released wasn't because he was bad. It was because he was expensive, which is hilarious because that's the same reason everybody wanted to cut Trent Murphy. Everybody wanted to cut Trent Murphy because he was too expensive. So that doesn't mean he's not a rosterable player. That just means he wasn't a good value. And there's a difference between those two things. And I, I personally believe Prince of Mukamara is an upgrade. I've said it before, and I would take it. But it does not appear at this time that the team agrees with me. So I'll just leave it at that. I'm going to be bitter about it for a brief minute. I mean, you can't be too bitter. I'm sitting in a, I'm sitting in a hammock not too far from the ocean here. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day out here in this undisclosed location where I'm located right now. I can't be too bitter, Anthony. So I, I don't want to end the pod on a down note. So, Anthony, I need you to help me out here. We need to end the, the pod on a positive note. What do you got for me? What do I got for you? The Bills are 2-0. Stephon Diggs <laughs> and Josh Allen, as we talked about before, great rapport through two weeks. I mean, the Buffalo Bills, I mean, think about this again. And you say from where we were two years ago in 2018, have the leading passer in the NFL from a yard standpoint and the leading receiver in the NFL from a yard standpoint. That is something we did not think we would be talking about a year ago, two years ago. I don't know at any point. And here we are two weeks in with the Los Angeles Rams coming into Buffalo this weekend. And I'm ready for it. I think this is a wonderful, I hate to use the word measuring stick game, but it is. It's a wonderful measuring stick game for the Bills. I do think the Rams are getting back on track after kind of a lesser year last year. I think that they're extremely dangerous with their offensive system. I think you have to really have your head on a swivel. We're going to talk about that a little bit in tomorrow's podcast about the things that we need to do against the Rams and some of the almighty takes that we've had for that game. But Anthony, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate you helping facilitate this conversation. I apologize to my listeners if this wasn't the same Bruce you're used to hearing. This is vacation Bruce. That's who you're hearing. You're hearing vacation Bruce a little bit. But the last thing I want to say is to all the Josh Allen haters out there, I want to say this one thing because it's really, really important and I've been waiting for a long time. That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.
Hi, I'm Neil Patel, host of Decoder, my show about big ideas and other problems. Right now on Decoder, we're doing a mini-series about one of the biggest ideas that's creating some of the biggest problems around, generative AI. Our series dives deep into some of the most pressing issues surrounding generative AI, with expert Verge reporters covering the cutting-edge frontier of the industry. How could copyright lawsuits completely upend large language models and image generators? How big a problem is AI-generated misinformation for the 2024 election? And what kind of impact are AI chatbots having on human relationships? Decoder's AI series will help you understand what's going on, why, and where it might go from here. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Decoder wherever you get your podcasts.